said, I need a dollar. I said, a dollar is what I need. Hey, hey. I said, I need a dollar. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zoa. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We're a boutique financial advice firm that work with business owners, professionals and those planning for retirement. I've been doing this podcast for a while with about 33 episodes. So if you want to listen to any of the other ones, you can go to my website, Adapt Wealth, or search on iTunes. And if you do go to iTunes, we'd really appreciate if you would leave us a review. That would mean that we can reach more people. Firstly, uh, a word from our lawyers. Uh, Anything we talk about today is general advice only. It's not personal. Uh, Don't uh, take it as gospel. Uh, Certainly before you put anything in place, you should get some professional advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or from the neighbour at your barbecue. But certainly don't uh, don't just rely on what we say today. We will not be sued for it, uh, neither will JR Management Executive. They're not in it for the, uh, for the prospect of being sued. Anyway, the topic of this week's show is Don't Forsake Me in My Old Age. We are talking about a guide to the complex world of aged care. And my guests are going to be Noel Carter and Sarah Bell from Next Direction. They're a business that help guide people through the complex financial and emotional issues of moving into aged care. So it's going to be a great episode today. But before we get going on the episode itself, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about uh, something that's going on in my work at the moment. I'm actually moving offices. And the most important thing when you're moving offices is not moving desks or chairs or files. There's not that much of that stuff anymore. Most of it's on the computer and cloud-based. But the most important thing is a great internet connection. So I was researching that. I'm currently with TPG at my office. Uh, it's worked very well and I saw no reason to change. So I called up TPG uh, to order the internet access. Uh, pretty much exactly the same as what I've got now. Same cost, which was great. But what was interesting is when I was talking to them, they said, well, if you want to go with us, you've got to waive your rights to a customer services guarantee. Now, customer services guarantee must be something that the the telecom ombudsman put on uh, these companies to make sure that they give you phone and internet access. And if they don't, uh, they can potentially be fined or have to give you compensation. So it's interesting. This seems like it's a legal requirement, yet they said to me if I wanted to go ahead with their services, I had to actually waive my right to the customer services guarantee. And they went on and gave about a, a two-minute uh, thing about why I could waive it because they're, such, they're so great at their service anyway that I don't really need it. So anyway, I just thought that was a really interesting and crazy thing. But what's even crazier is that I took it anyway. Okay, well, that's uh, that's my rant for this week. We're just going to have a quick music break, and then I'm going to introduce Sarah Bell um, from and Noel Carter from Next Direction. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is Don't Forsake Me in My Old Age. It's a guide to the complex world of aged care. My guests today are Noel Carter and Sarah Bell from Next Direction. They're a firm that helps guide people through the complex financial and emotional issues of moving into aged care. Sarah and Noel, thank you for joining us. 
Now, uh, before we get going into the uh, the issues, can you please just tell me a little bit about your business and what you do? Next Direction was formed out of a financial service business, specifically to transition people through the maze of lifestyle changes, leading from downsizing through perhaps retirement villages, but ultimately home care or the aged care side. And particularly the aged care side in this segment is what we're focusing on because it is a difficult and complex area. And as Ruben mentioned earlier, the emotional side is not to be underestimated. Yeah. And Sarah, what about your involvement? When did, when did that start? Well, um, I really became interested when we went through a personal experience with my father-in-law. He was at the stage where he wasn't managing at home at all well, but he was adamant that he was. He was certainly against having help at home and he was very resistant into going into residential care. We were really quite worried about him and we managed to convince him to downsize from the family home. Yeah. We were lucky because the facility that we liked also had some independent living units. So we started out there and after about six months he transitioned into the aged care facility. Yeah. At the time of his transition we read all the brochures and the pamphlets provided by the facility. We scoured the My Aged Care website. There was so much information to digest and mm. it was so overwhelming. Mm. So I remember having a conversation with you, Reuben, and you told us that there were aged care consultants we could speak to. Yeah. And we decided to do that. And mm. what a difference it made. Mm. All of a sudden, everything was clarified for us. Our consultant showed us how to best fund the mood move. She saved us. She saved him thousands of dollars, and she made him aware that he would be eligible for a part pension, something we never ever mm. would have dreamed of. So it was a really positive experience. You actually getting advice at that time, and and that sort of I suppose reinforced the importance of it. It was such a positive experience, really. It was really part of my motivation in wanting to be able to do the same for others. Right. Very good. Okay, well, let's just talk about... Uh, I know yeah, there's a lot of issues that people face when they go into aged care. Before we get into the uh, financial side, uh, it's obviously a very emotional time for people and something that often involves um, the entire family. So I'm interested... Uh, in your experience about particularly with the family how it works in the family dynamics when you've obviously got a you know you've got a number of different children and you know and you've got the parents and the stakeholders and I'm guessing that you know a lot of the time people want different things how does how does that often play out well I suppose that's where experience uh, is probably our biggest advantage having been involved in this for such a long time you can imagine we've dealt with people in all walks of life with all states of uh, panic sometimes, uh, highly unsure of what's the right step, um, parents that are resistant and don't want to uh, actually make the move. And, of course, not always does each of the siblings uh, agree on what's the right course of action. Yeah. So sometimes we have to be a little bit firm. Um, I say it in a, in a nice way that uh, we're not here just for a pleasant conversation. We're here to provide you with the right information. And so... We can also talk from first hand. Um, both Sarah and myself have had experience with family members. Mm. Uh, my mother-in-law, for instance, 
uh, has high-end Alzheimer's and we've been through all the issues of home care and all the issues of aged care personally mm. and professionally. Yeah, so that makes a big difference when you can speak to people about your own experience. That's right. And people appreciate that we're not just doing it just as a, a job, but we're yeah. really talking with, with personal feeling about how difficult we understand it is for other people. Yeah. Sarah, what, what about you? What, how do you, have you found dealing with you know, different family members, possibly with different ideas? Look, that can be challenging at times, but um, most of the time... Um, they once they realise that they they all got the same objective and that is to get the best possible outcome for their parents, they can usually work things out. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting as well, though, when I, I actually, actually think about with my financial planner hat on, is when you're dealing with people, you know, you know, you know, most of the time I deal with clients, I know who the client is, right? But in some ways, you're dealing with not the client exactly themselves, you're dealing with their family. So it's actually, how do you take into account you know, the, the actual needs of the client when you've got, in some cases, the family members actually representing them? Well, it would say that it probably um, more than 50% of the cases would be that that's exactly what would happen. We do get occasionally people who initiate it themselves, but in majority of cases you are dealing with family members. Mm. However, we don't... Um, probably we take a view that uh, it, they are the best judge of the person's um, suitability to a certain aged care facility. Yeah. So we might uh, recommend that they look at certain ones, but like a financial plan, as you say, the first step is you've got to collect the information. Yeah, you've got and to that's, understand. And that's so important. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, terrific. Now, what about what else about? Uh, sorry, just going back to the family thing for a moment. Obviously, people need to be acting with authority under powers of attorney and the like. So is that something that you've got to check fairly early on to make sure that the right people are legally making the decisions? Yes, we always check to make sure that they have got a power of attorney. And that's really important if you're a decision maker. Mm. Um, Sometimes we find people don't. Mm. And that can be a problem, especially if um, a parent has lost capacity. Because once a parent's lost capacity, they're not in a position to uh, give power of attorney. And in those cases, um, children often end up at VCAT in order to get an order to act as an administrator. It's very time-consuming and so unnecessary. very difficult. Oh, well, if that's one thing that people get out of the show today, regardless of your age, uh, please make sure that you get a power of attorney. You can get a solicitor to do it, which is often a good idea, but there is actually, you know, there are actually powers of attorney that you can find online as well. I'm trying to remember, it's the Department of... Well, you Justice are better, or, actually, to get proper advice because yeah. there's been changes recently. That's true. Uh, which yep. requires different signatories to witness and, yeah. and the way it's uh, structured and, and the role and the responsibility that is attached to a power of attorney is a lot more onerous now than it used to be. Right. And as you say, particularly important to get the things witnessed correctly because there's, yeah, I, I recall now there's quite significant... Uh, um, uh, rules about who can witness them and how they witness them and if you get that wrong I suppose it can all be 
unwound altogether. Well, it would void the uh, uh, the role and the responsibility. Yeah. Now, just uh, on that as well, in terms of the timing of people actually coming to get advice, I know we all talk about in financial planning that people should plan well ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> but is the reality that people generally come for advice when you know mum or dad have had an accident or in hospital? Is that and and can't go back home? Is that usually the time people get advice? Oh, absolutely. Um, we see the crisis uh, all the time. Mm. It's often a person will fall, uh, break a hip or uh, a leg or arm. They often then finish up in hospital and quite often end up with pneumonia. Mm. And at that point, it becomes quite obvious that it's simply not possible to go home. Yeah. And there's naturally a uh, pressure on getting hospital beds available mm. so they then get moved across to what's known as transition yes and of course the transition people want beds so they're then putting a lot of pressure on people to, to move, move to yeah. aged care yeah so that is usually uh, the trigger i guess it's also difficult once again you say well people should plan well ahead but it's not the kind of thing people want to think about so much really is it Oh, absolutely. People don't want to think about it, but unfortunately, it's inevitable. And um, Mm. we often say to people, look, tell your children what your preferences are. I mean, if they already know what you expect or what you want to, where you want to be in um, as you get older, it makes it so much easier for them, especially Mm. in a crisis situation. Mm. If you haven't done the planning, but you know your parent is quite okay to go to an aged care facility, it makes a huge difference. A lot easier, rather than, you know, not being, not being sure if they want to go at all. Well, exactly. And during a crisis, you haven't got a lot of time to make a decision. No. Okay, so let's then talk about uh, the types of places that people can go to. I imagine there's a big variation. You know, people going into aged care facilities have got very wide range of needs. Can you tell me a little bit about the the different types of options, different types of care accommodation that people can choose? Yes, this would, uh, as you say, be quite variable depending on their health needs, their uh, financial capacity to pay. Uh, we also like to recommend an area that will allow family members to visit, area. Mm. Um, we do often get people who perhaps live interstate and then the family's perhaps in Melbourne and we often have to organise the move from Sydney or Melbourne or country areas. Mm. But the, the aged care facilities themselves um, are under strict guidelines from the government and they've all got to advertise their room costs on the My Aged Care website. Yep. And the type of care basically is, is the same, but there are special places that provide extra services which you pay for. Right. And like so, a five-star hotel. A bit like that, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's fine. Some people uh, enjoy the ambience. Uh, others uh, say, oh, it's too much like a hotel and we prefer something a little more homely. Yeah. So this is where I was saying before that we do uh, rely a lot on the feelings of the family members to judge the right place for, for mum and dad's mm. personality. And the other good thing about aged care these days is that they recognise how help managing them. They, they have a lot more activities to keep people involved. And I, I think when the family's visiting, they should look into 
the perception of what they see about the staffing, about the, the uh, mm. place, and about the activities that are likely to go, as well as the care that is being provided. So, do part of uh, your services actually involve finding places for people? Is that part of it? Well, it can be if that's what people need. Some of our clients come with a particular facility in mind. Mm. They've already done quite a bit of research. They found a place and a location they want to be, and they're comfortable there. And then they come to us to get some help in structuring their uh, yep, financial their finances. assets. And we'll yes. get into those finances uh, very soon. But I imagine also one of the complexities is when you've got spouses and only one of them needs to go in, You know, the decision may be whether both should go in at the same time, even though one may not be ready. I imagine that's a, um, that can be an area of difficulty as well. Oh, look, yeah. it certainly is because, um, in fact, we've had such a case and um, what we did was we did some financial modelling to look at the cash flow situation and um, we realised that there were going to be cash flow shortfalls. Mm. So I think in this particular case, um, Dad was uh, going to go into care and Mum yep. was going to stay in the retirement village and the children were concerned about not only paying the fees but making sure that mum had enough money to live on. Yeah. So we were actually able to suggest um, them paying a part rad mm-hmm. for dad and then we negotiated with the facility to deduct some of the fees from their refundable rad and right. this resulted in a terrific result because they had a cash flow buffer uh, over and above the pension for mm. mum and so it just ended up being a terrific outcome. Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, so it can be navigated, but it, but it certainly introduces that extra degree of complexity. Certainly, and every mm. case is so individual. Mm. And is there now, from what you sort of hear in the media, there's also uh, the government have got a lot of incentives for people to stay at home and to have care at home. I don't know, is the motivation for that it saves the government money? Uh, by keeping people at home? Well, one could uh, take a cynical view and say, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a, a, a reasonable uh, assumption that if you ask somebody, do you want to stay at home, naturally they would say, of course I do. And the practicalities of that sometimes gets lost in the care. For, uh, and the government does have a funding model which has to be assessed that allows up to fairly high care uh, mm. to be funded and supported. And there are some issues with uh, getting a package at the moment because the government has uh, probably uh, up to nine months waiting list of people to get a package for home. Wow. So it b- becomes an issue mm. of not only do you have the need, but to be able to g- get the package to provide the need. It's just to get through all the bureaucracy. That's right. And I guess also now with the rollout of the uh, NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, maybe that's putting more pressure on the whole government bureaucracy as well? I wouldn't say so in particular with aged care. I no. mean, there are overlaps, uh, of course, but the the package numbers have been uh, perhaps signal that there may be an increase in the budget that will allow uh, a greater number because it's quite clear that if people are going to uh, decide to remain home, the government must have the packages to provide the funding and the support for it. And it is still... Uh, from a financial point of view, a better position than uh, funding an aged care facility. So the government's very keen on that with a growing ageing population. They can see, Mm. looking ahead, what the financial commitment may well be in the long run. Yeah. 
Okay, well, let's now move on to the financial uh, aspects of moving into aged care, which can be uh, an enormous minefield. And Sarah, I'm going to uh, just start with you. I guess the uh, concern that often people have is, or you know, the the, the basic statement people say, I'm moving into an aged care facility and I've got to sell my house and they're taking my house. Is that statement true? Well, (laughs) if you've got a house, there are always choices around it, that's for sure. And um, to really know, no one's going to take your house, but to really know what the right decision is, you've really got to look at the individual situation. So So when you say what the right decision is, whether they keep or sell the house? Whether they keep their house Mm. or whether they sell it, that's right. So, So, Sorry, just... Let me just um, be clear then. In terms of them keeping it or selling it, that is to fund a an entry fee? Yes, in order to fund the accommodation costs, otherwise known as the RAD or the refundable accommodation deposit. Right. Okay, so um, if you take the case where people have got enough assets outside their family home to fund the RAD, mm-hmm. some, co- some clients would be very happy to keep it because they're often emotional attachments to the yeah. family home. And, you know, from a financial side, of course, there's the potential for capital growth. Um, others decide they really don't want that bother mm-hmm. and they decide they want to sell it. Now, um, once we do the financial modelling, we can certainly see what would be the best option from a cash flow point of view, but that sort of decision isn't always about the cash flow. Yeah, it's also about emotion as well. That's right. Whereas if you look at the case where there there aren't enough assets to fund the uh, RAD, accommodation costs um, outside the family home, sometimes we find people still would like to keep the family home and rent it. Mm. So um, then we talk about the implications of renting it. So um, the rental income would certainly help uh, fund the fees, but there's also a downside because if people are entitled to a pension, then the extra income from the rent could very well offset the pension or decrease their pension eligibility. Right, which doesn't help their cash flow at all. That's exactly right. Yeah. And in addition to that, sometimes they've got to spend significant amounts of money just to get the house up to a rentable standard. Right. And then they also need to think about, well, what will they do if they've got it vacant for a while? So just going back for one moment, we talk about the RAD, which is the refundable... Accommodation, accommodation deposit. deposit. So where does what does the refundable part uh, come in? Okay. Well, I'll go on. You. Yeah, well, that uh, uh, is often a big question that people ask and say, well, if we provide half a million dollars or whatever the figure may be, uh, what's the situation with it? Well, the government guarantees that's fully refundable. Yeah. So that if for some reason the aged care facility did run into liquidation it is government funded and so mm-hmm. the money is guaranteed okay and, and that ref- and it does get refunded say when the person passes away or if they leave the aged care facility yes. that's the that's the other part of it well there's two answers to that first is if they move to another facility of course it can be transferred yeah uh, but if they pass away uh, the only delay will be a probate being uh, declared right and then it would be paid once the probate is, is uh, completed and uh, there's no delay with it from that point on right so that lump sum is something you've got to hand over to them 
um, they can deduct a certain amount per year. Is that right? It's Only a- by agreement. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> if they uh, accept that you may want to fund part of the fees from that lump sum that you've mm. given them, then, of course, it's going to be less when it comes back. <clears throat> but for people who don't choose that path, then 100% of what they give the facility uh, comes back to them. Oh, okay. I, I seem to... I th- Thought that there was a, an amount that they could deduct each year. Was it yeah, three or five thousand dollars? Has that changed? Has yeah, it? Yes, that was in the pre um, two thousand and fourteen rules. Ah, there you go. Uh, that was the retention amount, which yeah. over five years amounted to roughly twenty thousand. Right, right. Yes, I do recall that when I was dabbling in the aged care area. But I obviously from two thousand and fourteen, I wasn't fully across it. Um, okay, so that's. So that's interesting. In terms of that, uh, the amount that they ask if, as that lump sum, does that vary significantly from facility to facility? Yes, that is an important question because the government puts a cap of 550000 on it. Yeah. <clears throat> now, that uh, surprises people when they say, well, someone's asking for a million dollars. The government uh, does have an authority that an aged care facility can put a proposition that, well, this is a more uh, upmarket place and that uh, we wish to be able to charge a higher level and the government authority allows them to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, Once a a room is advertised, then they can't increase it. Uh, However, we do find from uh, many lots of experience we can negotiate fees downward sometimes. Mm -hmm. So... If, if, if it would happen to be a $500,000 RAD, we may be able to get it for uh, four fifty or some figure yeah. like that. Yeah, so it is a ne- it's a negotiable thing. It's not quite like an auction, <laughs> no. but, but it's something that you can actually negotiate. Uh, well, but I guess that must dem- depend on demand and supply. If there's pl- that's exactly right. And uh, there are times when different facilities have got vacant rooms mm. and, they're, of course, they're keen to fill them. So whenever that happens, it's always very negotiable. Mm. If there's a long waiting list, then there usually isn't much room for negotiation. Yeah. Okay, so let so just to fi- to wind that up about the uh, that big deposit, the refundable uh, accommodation deposit. So... Am I right that you can either pay that as a lump sum or there is another option as well in terms of how you can fund that? Yes, there is. So some people choose um, or are not able to pay the lump sum and they choose to pay a daily accommodation payment, Mm -hmm. commonly known as a DAP. And when they do that, it's like paying rent. Right. So... How that's worked out is by applying just a government-determined interest rate to the red amount each oh, year. Yeah. And then, um, and of course, that's not refundable at all. It's like rent. No. You know, once you've spent it, you've spent it. Right. And then there's the situation where sometimes uh, people choose a combination because that's okay too. Yeah. So uh, they can cover some of the rad and they're happy to do that, but and, not all of it. And what's that interest rate roughly at the moment? At the moment, it's 5.77% per annum. Okay. So that's reasonably high. Yes. Isn't it? Because I suppose from the uh, from the aged care facility point of view, they either get, say, a million dollars, which they can invest or do whatever with, but they're unlikely to get a very high return. Or if the person decides to pay the interest, they get a 5.77% return. So that might even be better for them. Um, 
Well, I suppose you're thinking from the individual's perspective. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, right. I'm looking at the age care. Okay, that's right. That's right. But from the individual's perspective. Well, that's interesting because um, a lot of people think about that. So if you've got a person looking to go into aged care and they do have some liquid assets, just say they had $600,000 mm. sitting in a bank account earning 2% and they've got to choose between paying the RAD giving that money up and not mm. getting the 2% yeah. or paying a DAP of 5.77%, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense yeah. not to pay the RAD. Exactly. But then you've got other cases where, say, people don't have the liquid assets on right. hand. It they takes might have time. have tied up in a property or something like That's that. That's right. It takes time to sell a property. Mm. And then there are other situations where you've got someone with a property asset which is bringing you a return higher mm. than the DAP that you mm. would be paying. Yeah. So for that sort of uh, client, it wouldn't make sense to sell the property mm. in order to pay the RAD. They're quite happy to pay the debt because they're mm. getting a higher return than yeah. they're paying. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, obviously these are really big decisions around particularly that, that lump sum. How long do people have to actually arrange their affairs to make this decision? <laughs> because as you, what you were saying before is people come in in crisis mode. Surely, you know, within a week they can't make that that decision of that magnitude. Well, this is a, a, the major exercise of uh, not um, being prepared, like we're saying before. Mm. Um, we can move rather quickly because once we have the information uh, from experience, we know what the outcome's likely to be. Yeah. And we often say to the facility, look, there are some complications and we buy a bit of time. And usually we find the major thing is that uh, they'll hold the room for us for a certain period of time. Yeah. Uh, and that gives us that little extra time just to make sure that the right decisions are made. Yeah. But are people... Oh, sorry, Sarah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, even if people say, look, they really would like to pay the RAD, but they just haven't got the money, but yeah. they're desperate to take up the place, they can actually go in right. and um, hold off paying the RAD. It's just that they do pay the debt. Oh, okay. That's until exactly that's what I was going to ask you. So you yeah. can go in without paying the lump sum. Absolutely. Pay, and then at a later point, say, hey, I don't want to pay that 5.88% interest anymore. Here's my lump sum. That's right. Thanks. You can and do let, that. Me, let me go on. Okay. So, so they, they do have that ability. Is there also an ability for people to go in? I don't know, under a, a temporary thing, under a respite thing, for example, before they make a big decision? Uh, yes. Um, there's a, a government allowance of 63 days a year, and that's a financial year. Yeah. But, of course, the aged care facility doesn't necessarily have to provide that. Right. But it, it's um, twofold. Sometimes it's a good thing for people to go in for three weeks a month, whatever it might be, Yeah. And, and just helps with the transition from home to, to the aged care. Yeah. Uh, and it does also help the aged care facility assess their needs. Um, but there are other occasions where the person has that in the back of their mind. They think, well, I'm only here temporarily and I'm going to go home when mm. it's not appropriate for them to go home. Yes, yes. And I suppose sometimes for people that might be an easier step to think I'm going in temporarily, but if they're happy, hope you know they may not actually leave. Yeah, there is okay. another factor with that too, that if sometimes we can get a, an extra period of time, like we are saying before, instead of paying that interest, we may get a month where we don't have to pay that interest. Yeah. Okay, so so far we've only talked about the, the lump sum deposit. 
or the red as you call it. I mean, let's now talk about the ongoing costs, which I know are substantial. Sarah, can you just uh, give us a bit of an overview of the ongoing costs? Sure. Okay. So the ongoing costs, they're usually, well, there are three of them. There are three types. One's called a basic daily fee. One's called an extra service fee. And the third one is what we call a means-tested fee. So starting with the basic daily fee, that is a fee that's set by the government and it's always 85% of the single age pension. Regardless of whether you're getting the age pension or not. Regardless. It's the same for everyone. And that gets adjusted in March and September, of course, in line with the pension. Yes. So currently that's $50.16 for a day. And previously it was $49.42 for a day. So Mm -hmm. you can see it does go up, but it's usually not substantial. The extra service fee... Sorry, can I just, before yeah. we go on from that, so the fact that it's 85% of the aged uh, pension, would that mean if someone, let's say their only income is the age pension, that they effectively can get care and that's what they pay? That's exactly right. So yeah. it's something that everyone can afford because if yeah. you don't have enough outside assets and income, you're certainly going to have the full age pension. Yeah, okay. So the okay. next, the second part? Okay, so the second fee is what we call the extra service fee. And um, it's called by many different names. Some places will call it uh, club services or signature yeah. services. Um, it, sometimes it's optional, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly it's not. And right. it's a fee that's set by the facility, and it varies from about $20 a day right up to $100 a day. Mm. And it's usually for um, extra special things like uh, alcohol with your meals, mm-hmm. newspapers, iPads, Foxtel, mm-hmm. right. things like that. Right. So, But not every facility will have that. The more basic facilities, I imagine, don't have it? Um, no, not every facility has it, and some have it on a, a user-chooses basis. All oh, right. Interesting. Okay. Um, so there's, I imagine so there's a wide variation. So that really depends on, on the quality and what, what, what a market rate is, I suppose, sure. for that type of facility. Sure. Is there any regulation around it? what that fee could be? It's changed a little. It used to have quite strict uh, relationships, but in that change I mentioned in 2014, the government opens up to make it far more flexible, but they do have to put into their agreements specifically what they're providing. Right. And in some cases it might well be, say, physiotherapy, Mm. where you may have to pay for something like the physiotherapist to come in uh, independent and pay separately for it. So when people are looking at the agreement, they should read into what is actually provided in that extra service uh, space. Okay. So, yeah. so extra service space, so that's quite flexible depending on what on, the on what the, on the uh, facility on what the facility is. Okay. Sure. And the, and the, the last one. All oh, right. Okay. So the last one, the means tested fee. Okay. Yeah. Now that's a government imposed fee. And it's always based on the level of assets and income of the resident. Yeah. And it's determined by government formula. So um, everybody also, of course, pays that. Now, it has an annual cap and a lifetime cap. Mm -hmm. So um, the annual cap is uh, $26,000, around $26,000, which means that even if you're assessed as being liable to pay more than that Mm $26,000, once you've reached that $26,000 in a year, you don't pay any more. Right. 
and uh, it has a lifetime cap of about $64,000, okay. $65,000. So w- once again, once you've um, paid that total amount, your liability ends forever mm. while you're there. Out of interest, does that, does that amount go to the aged care facility itself or does that sort of go to the government? Well, it's collected by the aged care facility, yeah. but it's an adjustment from the uh, claims that an aged care facility would make with the government. So, in fact, while they're collecting it, the government is then reducing the subsidies. Right, they they're offsetting provide. it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, so those are the three sort of main costs are, but... I'm guessing people can have other costs as well. Well, some people, um, they're the the three ongoing costs that people, all people have to contend with, but sometimes um, individuals decide on having some personal care as well. well. And for people who decide that, of course, that needs to be factored in. But it's a very individual thing. Some people do, some people don't. Um, Sometimes... uh, Often I've seen carers take people out on a regular basis mm. and um, many people don't. They're more than happy with the activities offered by the facility. So mm. it's a very individual thing. Yeah. And, I mean, does the in terms of the facilities themselves, does the – I understand you've got you – know, there might be high care facilities, and but are certain facilities better than others in terms of the actual care that they provide? Well, I think that's always in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um, the principle is that there are audits uh, conducted to ensure that they meet government standards mm. and every period of time they go through an accreditation process and that determines whether or not that uh, licensing is allowed for the next three years mm. or more. And there are severe penalties and sanctions if people don't uh, provide you know, up to the levels required. Mm. But, of course, the audit people can't be there all the time. Right. And it does vary a little bit from place to place. Mm. Um, and I guess it's uh, also what expectations are. Sometimes people's expectations are perhaps a little unrealistic. That's uh, right. It's not like being in a hospital bed uh, with uh, intensive care where you've got somebody on tap every mm. minute of the day. Mm. I mean, the ratios are a bit variable depending on the care needs. Yeah. There's obviously a higher need in high care, particularly specifically high care, mm. such as dementia, as against uh, carers in, in a more liquid um, exercise where people have still got cognitive and physical abilities to move around. So... I think that's something that each of the people that are visiting should look into mm. quite dramatically because it has a, a big, influ- uh, I suppose, influence on your choice. Right. Can I just add something there? Um, I find that it's really terrific if you know someone is in the facility already mm. or if you've got friends with a parent because yeah. people are very happy to, to share with you. Yeah. I know they're happy to share the bad experiences, yeah. but they're also very happy to share the good, and yeah. there are a lot of really good experiences yeah. out there. But as you say, um, Noel, it's people's perception can be very different. What, what I suppose what some people can think is, is good care, another <laughs> person might think is, is terrible. Mm, completely. Mm. Yes, that's right. So it's a, um, a challenge. So in, in terms of that, we talk about um, the, you know, the range of services, but in terms of you know, one of the issues, I suppose, people go into aged care facilities and they look around and they see, well, people are just in front of the television. They're not doing any particular activities. Uh, In terms of activities as well, does that vary from place to place? Well, 
It certainly does, but um, we've noticed that over the years, facilities are really recognising the importance of keeping their residents uh, occupied mm. and engaged. And most facilities that we visit offer extensive lifestyle programs, and and it involves a range of activities. Mm. I mean, personally, I've seen discussion groups, mm. musical entertainments, sing-alongs, even outings to places like the art gallery if yeah. people are up to it. In fact, I even know of one facility that has recently started a men's shed and a volunteer from outside the facility is running it. And it is a hit. Mm. Everybody wants to go to it. Yeah. So um, there are lots of uplifting stories, you know, where people have really benefited from the yeah. move. And, um, but, and, and I even know of people who come and go as they please and are still driving. So really? as long as they're yeah. safe and are able to do so, there's no reason why they can't leave and go about their normal life. Once they've gone in, it doesn't mean that they really need to be stuck there. So things have improved a bit. Because I recall from when my great-grandmother was in there, you know, the extent of the entertainment would be someone playing one of those accordions, uh, singing some Yiddish songs. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, when my father-in-law was uh, in the facility, look, we used to, you know, we always brought him home on uh, Friday night and he was with the family. And if there was ever any occasion, any family occasion, any outing, any picnic, we'd take him with us. So, it, you know, it, it really works well. But that involvement of the family in friends is really important. Okay. Well, look, let's just uh, just move on. Uh, then in terms of your services a little bit more. Uh, so tell me, what, what is it when people come to see you that you generally aim to achieve for them? Well, well obviously the, uh, the most important is to make it easy for people to understand what choices they have. And, of course, where it's involving, say, a pension, we obviously want to maximise the pension and, wherever possible, naturally uh, reduce the fees. Yeah. So that, that's that's a prime uh, situation. But then there are people who have uh, little or no, as uh, we mentioned before, and there are placements available for those people who are what we would call fully supported. Yeah, so uh, people who have little or no assets. That's right. Yeah. And then you've got those uh, other people who've got high worth. That's um, mm. not then so much a financial issue. It's the emo emotional uh, choices, understanding you know the steps, and being fully familiar with you know what needs to be decided. Yeah, and and we provide the guidance and uh, support for that from experience, and being in it for a long time and dealing with uh, lots of aged care facilities and a multitude of different people, uh, you do gain a lot of experience mm. and uh, help. In the end, we, we want to get a good outcome for everybody. Mm. Sarah, did you have anything to, to add on to that in terms of the, the sort of value that people get uh, from using services like yours? Well, we certainly aim to add value, not only from a financial point of view, but particularly from an emotional point of view as well. So... Um, I find that it's really useful to have for people to have someone to hold their hand through the process, mm -hmm. and we also do that. So we're just we're just not about doing the numbers. We're mm -hmm. about, as Noel said, getting the best possible outcome for the individual and for their family. Yeah, and uh, and we try and do that by taking all the various mm -hmm. issues into account. Mm -hmm. And I guess you know we touched on before about uh, Centrelink. Uh, issues with with pension you know dealing with Centrelink and all that sort of paperwork is a massive thing as well isn't it well that's one of the things that people say to us thank goodness you're doing that because yeah. the, the aged care form is 144 questions 
And there are occasions where if you don't get it right, and just to give you a very quick example, I'm sorting out someone whose mother went into care nearly two years ago, mm. and because they didn't seek any assistance, they're now facing a bill of 62000 mm. which is really not right. It's not the right of figure, but that's because they've misjudged and not understood the system. Mm. Now, fortunately, we're able to come in and uh, show them you know, what is the correct amount and negotiate uh, with Centrelink to make sure Centrelink then uh, gets the right figures. Yeah. So, so sometimes um, uh, it's a smooth going, sometimes it's complicated, but having a, a lot of experience both with Centrelink and DBA, Department mm. of Veterans Affairs, uh, does probably as much uh, to help people through as any other element. Yep. Excellent. All right, well, we're coming towards the end, but what I always ask uh, guests for before we let them go is their three uh, top tips. So I think in this situation, uh, probably the question to ask is the three top tips for people uh, in terms of planning aged care. Okay, well, I'll do the first one, okay? Um, When we think about this, one of the most important things is to have powers of attorney in place before you need them. Because if you don't have them in place before you need them, it can be really time-consuming and tedious to get them. Nobody wants to go to VCAT and to get a court order. So, I mean, that's things that you can put in place at any stage. Yep. Number two? Well, I think the biggest issue, as we discussed it before, is to be prepared. Mm. Now, it may be that people say, but we're nowhere near it. It may Mm. be, you know, 10 years away. But sometimes there are a lot of uh, decisions that people make, and you would know as a financial planner, uh, that people structure their affairs in certain ways Mm. that may come back to haunt them in years to come because they've got to sell off an asset which may have capital gains Mm. involvement. If they know precisely what the plan ahead is that certainly makes life a lot easier for them in the long run so we encourage people to be prepared uh, take advice in advance and monitor and change circumstances as they arise yep number three and probably the last one is the importance of talking to your family about Mm. you want for yourself about what you want for yourself Mm. so that when the time comes they know very clearly what your preferences are because if they don't it really adds to the anxiety and the stress for everybody. Okay, terrific. And just finally, where can people find out a bit more about uh, you and your services? Okay, well, we've got a website coming, but that's not quite <laughs> that's not <laughs> quite ready yet. That's right. But we'll leave you with some cards, Reuben, and uh, perhaps if they uh, contact you. Not a problem. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining us today. We are going to take a quick break, and then it is going to be time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Okay, now it is time for my Propeller Head of the Week. Now, with 30 June coming, it's time to turn your mind to superannuation. And one of the things I want to talk about today is the government co-contribution for low-income earners. So the government co-contribution works that the government will give a matching 50% of contributions uh, of up to $1,000. That's a maximum co-contribution of $500. If you make a $1,000 contribution to super, the government will put in Uh, an extra $500 provided that you meet the following criteria. You'll get the full amount if your income is below $36,800 and you'll still get a partial amount all the way up to income amounts of $51,000. 
The other uh, tricky little criteria is in order to get this, you need to have more than 10% of your income uh, from employment income. So they really want this to be a a co-contribution for people who are working to some extent. And if you're over 65, you also need to have worked uh, at least 40 hours within a 30-day period during that financial year. And finally, uh, you can't have more than $1.6 million in super in order to benefit from the government co-contribution. Well, thanks very much for listening today. I highly commend you to go to uh, the Finance Hour on iTunes, leave me a review. Uh, If you've got any ideas for future uh, podcasts, for future shows, just shoot me an email at advice at adaptwealth.com.au. Otherwise, enjoy your week.